0: You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, August 8th, 2021 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. And welcome to the Sunday morning gathering of Redemption Hill Church. My name's Raymond and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'll, I'll be our guide through the Bible today and, and then for the next couple of weeks um, so let's, let's get right into it and get started. If, if, if you, do me a favor if you would, grab a Bible. If you didn't bring one with you this morning, there, there should be one in the pew right, right in front of you there. If you look at the back of the pew, you'll see a Bible, unless you're sitting over here somewhere and I, I took yours. Right? Oh, you got one, Greg? All right. Um, Go ahead and grab that I'm going to reference a lot of scripture as I go through the message today I won't have you flip to all of the different things that I mentioned But for those that I that I would like you to look at I just want you to be able to see What we're saying for yourself so that you can actually see it in the bible For yourself instead of having to just take my word for it Have you ever have you ever felt like you just needed a Do-over Anybody? I'm not just talking about the mulligan when you're on the golf course here, but like a, a mulligan for real life. We don't always do the right things. We don't always say the right things. And, and even when we do say the right things sometimes, we don't always say it the right way. And you just, you just need a do-over. Um, somebody not, not too long ago thought that it would be a good idea for us to have near constant access to everyone's opinion. I would like a do-over. <laughs> Anybody else? I would, I would like a do-over. Um, but that's the world that we live in today. You know, we're, we're probably just going to have to get used to that. But when you have near constant access to everyone else's opinion, you're constantly reminded about what those people believe to be of utmost importance. And so it is critical for us to intentionally take time away from those other voices so that we can compose ourselves clear the air and listen to God and remember what he believes to be of utmost importance. And so over the next few weeks we're going to be talking about things like that but it's it's going to get really down to the basics of Christianity. Some of you are seasoned Christians This is going to insult your intelligence, but we're going to come back to it anyway. If I were doing my Ted Lasso version of a soccer coach, this this would be the, this is a soccer ball, and some of you have been playing professional soccer, to use the analogy, and I'm going to sit here and come back and tell you what they used to do to us when we played soccer, even at a high level. This is a soccer ball, and one of you is going to control the other. right, so this is going to insult your intelligence, but we're going to go right back down to the basics here for the next couple of weeks and just trust what the Lord's going to do with it. One day, speaking of reminding us of what's most important to God, one day you and I will actually find ourselves standing right in front of Jesus Christ face to face. You You won't hear this on the evening news. You will rarely come across this on your Twitter or Facebook feed, except on occasion from from that friend that, that is most obnoxious on social media. But the truth is, is one day we will actually stand face to face with Jesus Christ. We will come before him for judgment. And in that day, we will hear one of two things. We will either hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Or we will hear, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. And some people, some people say this, and I, you know, we don't, we don't always talk about this final judgment and that sort of thing. It, it, it's something we obviously believe because it's taught in scripture. Um, but some people hear something like that and they say, I, I don't believe in that stuff. I think that when we die, that's it. We die, and there's nothing beyond that to be concerned about. Well, at at the risk of offending someone I don't know very well, Let let me just say it this way. There are some things that are true, and true in the sense that regardless of what we believe about them, they are still true. I know people have fallen in love with the idea of relativism, and something can be true for you and not true for me. And we're not talking about which is the best ice cream. We're talking about eternally true things. We are going to stand before Jesus. The Bible is very clear. For instance, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 puts it this way, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So regardless of what each one of us believes, this is the reality. We will stand before Jesus Christ for judgment. And according to Jesus, there are at least two things that must be true about us if we are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Number one, we must become children of God. And number two, we must have the righteousness that God requires of those who would enter his kingdom. Now some of you gave me the legalism face. I'm not talking about legalism. We will come to that second one next week. We will actually read Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, and I will show you in the Bible for yourself in verse 20 that that is exactly what Jesus teaches, but we'll do that next week. We'll talk about what that does mean and what it does not mean, so don't worry about it this morning. This morning, we're going to deal only with that first one, that we must become children of God. We're going to see if we can figure out what that means. All right, so let's take our time today, walk through our passage in John chapter 1 and some other places, and let's see if we can answer that question. How do we become children of God? Father, let me pray again here as, as we get into this. Uh, open our hearts and our minds, clear space in our hearts and minds, so that only your voice is able to get in. Pray that you would help me to be as clear as I can and help us to listen as though our lives depended upon it. Change us as you desire. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. How do we become children of God? Some of you are probably thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were all children of God. What do you mean become children of God? Now, now of course, when some people use the phrase children of God, and we, we listen to people use that phrase um, they say that all people are children of God, and usually what they mean is based on things that are true, and certainly the heart behind what they're saying is good. I mean, typically when people say that, they're saying, we, we are all created by God, we all bear God's image, therefore we're all equally valuable in God's sight, no matter what we look like or where we come from, uh, and we should treat each other that way, right? As equal in value in God's sight. Now, of course, All those things are 100% true, and that is a very good way to think about how to relate to other people, right? That's exactly how we should relate to each other. If that's what people mean when they say we're all children of God, I get what they're saying. On the other hand, it's it's important to point out this morning, when the Bible uses the phrase children of God, it uses it in a more narrow sense. It's it's inclusive of some people. It includes some but not all people. Let me show you that in the Bible. Look at John chapter 1. We'll see it here in our passage, starting in verse 11. It says here that Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see that? There were two groups of people here. In verse 11, there was one group of people, and Jesus came to them, and they did not receive him. And then in verse 12, there's another group of people who did receive him, who believed in his name. And it was to that second group and only that second group that Jesus gave the right to become children of God. The Bible uses that term in a way that distinguishes some people from others. It is not true or it does not apply to everyone who has simply been created by God in his image. When we say children of God in the biblical sense, it applies to those who also are related to God in a particular way. They have a particular relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. They have received him and have believed in his name. Do you all see that? That is what we're talking about. How do we become children of God in the way that the Bible defines that? All right, so that is what we are looking at. Verse 13 would go on to actually give us at least the beginning of the answer to this question. Let's look at that together. Starting in verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. Children of God are born in a particular way. And if you, if you skip down to the end of verse 13 really quick, he says they were born of God. Just like all of us were born in a natural way, I take it for granted that you were born at some point in the past, we must also be born in a spiritual way if we are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And verse 13 could really be a lot shorter, couldn't it? He could have just said, who were born of God. So why does he put all this other stuff in between? Because it's important to God... John chapter 1 verse 13 proves this. It's very important to God that we understand not simply how the children of God are born, but how they are not born. When I I was younger and I used to watch these cartoons, you know, whenever there was a new life that that came into the picture, the stork would bring it, remember? Of, Of course, new lives don't come from the stork, they come from God. We all understand that at this stage, right? Well, Parents are nervous. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) The, The rest we leave to you all. May the Lord bless you. But you understand there are false ideas about how new life comes into the picture. The same is true when we look at how the children of God are spiritually born into his kingdom and into his family. And the apostle John deals with one of them right here. He says that these children are not born of blood. And literally, if you look at the original language of the Bible, the original Greek, it literally, it, this is a plural word. They are not born of bloods. The idea was you, you bring these two bloodlines or family lines together, and that's, that's where these children come from. In particular, if you're talking about nobility in different cultures, you would have to bring the right two family lines together in other, in, to end up with a noteworthy child, And God wants you to know, yes, the children of God are very special in a very particular way, but it isn't the result of of bringing the right two families together. They are not born that way. The the New International Version, I like how it says it. It it says they are not born this way through natural descent. Now, Now, this is a very important part, and especially kids, I want you to listen to this, because this is really important for you. What God is saying here is that you, you do not automatically become a child of God simply because your parents are children of God. It, it doesn't pass to you through natural descent. Now, your, your parents, if they are truly Christians, if they're truly children of God, they're going to be of a great help to you. They're going to be praying for you. They're going to be telling you about Jesus. They're going to be leading you in that direction. And that's a huge help. But becoming a child of God in this spiritual sense requires much more than just that. You see, your your parents, while they will certainly help you and guide you, can't respond to the gospel and to the news about Jesus for you. You, you have to respond to what you hear about Jesus for yourself. And, and it's easy for us to forget this. Parents, this means that we, we have to be praying for our children. We cannot simply assume that because they grow up in our house, or we send them to a Christian school, or they go to the right kind of church, we cannot simply assume that those things alone produce a child of God. The children of God can only be born through the power of God. And that is what we need to constantly ask God for when it comes to our children. They are not born of blood. Neither are they born, John would go on to say, of the will of the flesh or of the will of man. In in other words, this is not accomplished simply by mere human desire or decision. I love how the NIV says that again. It's, it's not simply by human desire or decision. We don't become children of God simply by willpower. Whether our own or someone else's. It's not by the will of some man. It's not by the will of some other person who just wants this for us and wills it for us. We believe that their prayers will be heard by God and those prayers will be effective. But, but much more than that is required if we are to become children of God. Again, we must be born By the power of God. God is always the heavenly father and never the heavenly grandfather or uncle. You you will not become God's child through any indirect relationship with another child of God. It is always through faith in Christ on the part of the person who is becoming a child of God. So this is critical that we pray that way and that we understand this. That we parent that way for those of us who are parents. instead something much more powerful is needed if this new spiritual life is going to be put into us it can't be by any of these natural means and so in ezekiel chapter 36 you turn here this is in the old testament but in ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 through 27 we're going to get a kind of Old Testament explanation of what God does to produce a child of God. This is what's happening behind the curtain where we can't see what's going on. And he says there in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So, pause there for a minute. He, God is going to perform a kind of heart surgery, He's going to take out the stone, the hard, the, the hard heart that is insensitive and unresponsive to His voice. And, his spirit, and he is going to replace that with a, a soft and tender heart that will listen to him and respond to him and go in the direction that he desires. He, he, he goes on here, Ezekiel does, and he says, I will put my spirit within you, or God speaking through Ezekiel, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see that? God is going to perform an inward work, a heart transplant, so to speak, and it is that, inward work of God done by no human hand, least of all your own. It is that powerful inner work of God replacing the heart that is unresponsive to his voice that then causes us to walk in the direction that he wants, to walk according to his statutes, to obey his rules. It is not our decision that determines the direction in which our life will go, per se. It is actually God's inward work that determines our decision to go in that direction. It is not a mere human decision that makes us into a child of God. It is actually whether or not we have truly become a child of God that will determine our decision. Now think, think. God replaces the heart and then he says that heart, that new heart will cause you to walk according to my rules. This is why as Christians we never look down on anyone who is not walking in a direction of obedience to God. But rather we pray for such souls that God would do something that only God can do, that he would reach into the heart, turn them around and cause them to walk in the right way. We do not blame them for something that they cannot do themselves. Right? Do you, see, do you see this? God actually performs a spiritual surgery of sorts. He changes the heart, and that causes us to move in a particular direction. That is how we should pray for anyone that we believe is not yet a child of God. That God would change the heart and put in there the heart of flesh that is responsive to his voice. God's children must be born and can only be born by God's power. Now, this is important. You will have to decide. You will have to respond. You will have to choose how you respond to Jesus and the message you've heard about him. You will have to decide whether you take your life in the direction of sin, or whether you take your life in the direction of, of obeying the Lord and honoring Him. And in the, in the moment that you are just living, it, it's, it's going to be a real choice. I know that these things are hard to work out in your mind, but it, it is a real choice. I, I've listened to people who have, um, they've, they've sort of adopted certain theological frameworks where they rightly understand from the Bible things like election and predestination and God choosing people and, and God causing people to go. They, they, they rightly understand what the Bible teaches about those things. But in the next breath, they'll say something like, we don't even really respond. We don't even really make a real choice. And, and I would encourage you, the Bible doesn't really speak that way. The, the Bible actually makes an appeal to us. We, we are given a message and the Bible appeals to us. Second Corinthians chapter 5, right? We are ambassadors for Christ. We are appealing to you on God's behalf. Be reconciled to God. They're, we're appealing to what people can understand after they hear the message. And we are, we are expecting them to process that and to, to actually choose whom they will serve. All right. So so yes, God must do something that only God can do if we are going to become children of God. And yes, we are the only ones who can respond to the gospel that we are hearing. Both of those things are true. And so if you are sitting here this morning, I want you to understand the message you will hear today before you leave is able to turn your heart into the heart of a child of God. If you walked in not having that sort of heart this morning, it can happen as you are listening. And there is no power in this universe that can prevent it from happening if you will simply yield yourself to Jesus Christ. The same Jesus who took on sin and took on death and came out of it victorious That same Jesus is the one who presents himself to you with that power to raise you from what the Bible calls spiritual death to spiritual life. There is no power contrary to him that can keep you from becoming his if you will just yield yourself to him. Such a power does not exist, and the cross and the resurrection prove it forever. Again, God's children must be and can only be born by God's power. And Jesus talked to Nicodemus about this in John chapter 3. This was the passage of the Bible I was reading when this happened for me 24 years ago. Right there on the campus of Howard University with a very strange dude named Herb. (laughs) God bless Herbert Johnson III. He is out there somewhere. That man had the boldness to come to me and ask me if I had ever thought about studying the Bible. And I was, I studied chemistry. I'd like to read the Bible. He talked weird. He looked weird. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. He looked perfectly normal to heaven, and I did not. And I am so grateful that that very socially awkward young man named Herb did not care that I was popular. saw right through all that mess and knew that I needed the gospel. So grateful. There, there are people in your life who are perhaps one or two conversations away from becoming children of God. And you may be one of those conversations. Jesus in John chapter three said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I told you early on, in order to enter the kingdom of God, we have to become children of God. Here it is. Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 7, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So unless we are born in this spiritual way, we can neither see nor enter the kingdom of God. You have that now from no less an authority than Jesus himself. You must be born again. That's what he means in chapter one when, when the Bible says you must be born of God, born of the Spirit, born again. Same thing. And if you listen to people in the world, born again is an adjective. If you're familiar with George Barna's polls or just the way other people talk about it, you know, it's it's as if it's an adjective to describe a certain kind of Christian. He's one of those born-again Christians. You know, the ones that are just a little bit too into this religious Christianity thing. He's not a normal Christian. He's a born-again Christian. But but in the Bible, born-again is not an adjective, It's not an adjective that describes some Christians. It is an experience that is common to all Christians. You see it right there. Jesus says, unless you are born again, you can't even get in. So that's all I want to say about that. You you must be born again and you you understand what that means now. now. Now, here's my question. How does that happen? I am telling you this morning, as we read the Bible together, I am telling you that there is a way for God to take his power and to cause someone who is separated from him because of sin, who is considered, in the language of the Bible, Ephesians 2.1, dead in sins and trespasses. And God, God shows a power toward that individual that raises him or her to new spiritual life, causes them to be born again. How? does God do that? How does that happen? This is where where I have one of these moments where I cannot believe it is this simple. I am sitting here saying to you that all the power of heaven is conveyed through what I am about to show you. Heaven touches earth in a way that raises the dead to life through what I'm about to present to you and it is embarrassingly simple. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 through 25. Do turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1 22 through 25. Peter says there, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. How have we been born again? Through the living and abiding word of God. A message. Words spoken by someone else that you can hear. That you have the opportunity to believe. Words. Living words. The living and abiding word of God. This is not a normal book. You pick this book up and it knows. If it could whisper, it would say, we've been waiting for you. We've been sitting here on your bookshelf, your coffee table, waiting for you to read us. It is through the living and abiding word of God that we have the occasion to be born again. Every lost soul separated from God, dead in sin, it is through the living and abiding word of God spoken through mere mortals like us that they have the opportunity to be born again. The world is out there perishing for a lack of this word being spoken. Languishing, dying on the vine because we have become paralyzed, intimidated, nervous, ashamed of the word. What do you and I have to be ashamed of? Well, plenty actually, but, but not this. I was just thinking about myself. Some of you sound like you might be right there with me. This is not the thing of which we are to be ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everybody. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Doesn't matter. Rich, poor, black, white, yellow. I don't, it doesn't matter. The gospel is the only power of God and it is sufficient. It is powerful. The living and the abiding abiding word of God is the channel through which it is the power by which we are born again. And what exactly is that living and abiding word? Look down at verse 25. You have to love when the Bible is this specific. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It is the gospel that was preached to you. That is the occasion for our hearts to come alive. You you, you sit there and you think, why does Robert preach this same gospel every week? Well, number one, we may be graced by God on any given occasion to have some soul in here. And for all we know, this is the last time they will clearly hear the only message which can deliver them for all eternity. And number two, we have a strong conviction here in this church that even Christians need the gospel. Romans 16, verse 25. Now, unto him who is able to establish you and strengthen you by my gospel. Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he says, I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, who received Paul's letter? The Christians, the church. And he came to preach the gospel to them. And if you think he's only talking about preaching the gospel to others who are in Rome and not to the church, what do you think he does after chapter 1 in, in the book of Romans? He spends a whole lot of ink, and it was not, I mean, there's no typewriter, there's no word processor, there's none of that. He is dipping something in ink, and he's, he's dipping it again. Man, he spilled a lot of ink to preach the gospel to the church. Now, good 11 chapters before he even gets to now, here's how you should live. You think we need to hear the gospel regularly? Like, well, I, don't, I can't tell from your faces. Even if you don't, <laughs> God, God does. And that is why we consistently preach the gospel here. It is the occasion for our hearts to come alive. It's the good news that was preached to you. Listen. As we are hearing this very simple message, all of eternity can change. So I'm going to say very simply, without very much animation, I've been yelling at you for 10 minutes, I am simply going to say that you and I, Ephesians 2.1, were dead in sins and trespasses. Verse 3, like the rest, we were by nature, not children of God, But children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in sins and trespasses, He made us alive with Christ. It is by grace that we have been saved. You and I, Isaiah 59, verse 2, were separated from God because of our sin. But the arm of the Lord was not too short, and His ear was not too dull to hear. And God sent his son into not only this world, but into our situation, into our need. He sent his son Jesus to the cross to pay for the sins that we had committed and that had separated us from God. And Jesus drank the wrath of God that our sins deserve all the way down to the last drop. And all wrath from God that was due for those sins that Jesus took onto himself on the cross has been spent. There are other sins not given over to Jesus and God's wrath will have to be poured on those at a later time. But on the cross, God appointed the cross of his son, Jesus Christ, to be a place where his wrath would be poured out on all the sins that he took onto himself right there And and where those sins have been forgiven, the resurrection proves this, there is no more wrath for those sins and no more condemnation for those whose sins were given over to Christ. Romans 8.1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be an offering for sin. And Jesus rose from the dead, is seated at the right hand of God, and he says that the very same power by which he was raised from the dead is now toward us. God sends that power toward us that we might be raised as well. Now, let me ask you something then. What keeps you from receiving that love and that grace from God? What is so good that it keeps you from that? What doubt could possibly be so heavy and so strong that you can overlook all that love, all that mercy? Surely you must recognize that you need forgiveness. You must. We're not just—we're not having a conversation out there between two equals per se, where you can, you can fool me. I'm saying you're going to stand before Jesus. He cannot be fooled. You must realize that you need forgiveness. You've probably asked others for forgiveness at some point in your life. Is it possible to think you don't need to do the same with God? How is that even possible? No, we all need God's forgiveness. And thanks be to God, it is available because of Christ, because of his cross. So I'm going to ask you probably the most important question this morning. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? I'm glad that so many of us are are here consistently and regularly. Coming to a church service does not make you a Christian. Josh McDowell used to say it this way, Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car. Right? You, you can't just hang out with Christians in community. That doesn't make you a child of God either. It can help you. It can point you in that direction, but it's not the same. I, 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 if you're separated from God, you're separated from God and His life does not flow through you. I always, I always share this illustration with people. I remember pruning my tree a little too much one year and... Uh, there was this, there just, I cut all kinds of branches off that thing. And, and, you know, I tried to clean it up. I took some of them out, but I missed one. And I didn't realize it until the next spring because all the other trees that were still connected to the root and that had life flowing through them, leaves appeared on those branches. And I was wondering what's wrong with this one, one branch. It's hanging out with all the others, but it was separated from the source of life. Your Christian community cannot save you, can help you, can't save you, can't put the life of God into you. Only the gospel can do that, and only you can respond to the gospel that you have heard. Have you been born again in the way that the Bible describes now, some of you, because I have been so animated and shouting, some of you are thinking, I, th- I thought I had, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> Listen, let me, let me try to help you. That, that, that might just be my animation up here. There are lots of people with sensitive consciences, and you know, you would have been the one sitting with Jesus at the Last Supper saying, is it, is it me? Is it or if you're a grammarian, you would have said, is it I, Lord? um that's just how sensitive you are and god bless you for that that's that's great your heart is tender before the lord but i trust the lord to help you that if i said anything in a particular way that causes you to doubt that you are a child of god when you in fact are i'm fully confident that god will, will help clear that up your christian community will probably help you probably help by encouraging you however at the same time i do acknowledge sometimes you're feeling a little bit weird when you hear something like this Because God is being kind to you and he's trying to point out that actually you have not been born again. At best you have a sort of Christian kind of religious existence that that has never quite brought you face to face with Christ at his cross. Where you see him dying for you and where you for the very first time say, you know, Lord, I've never brought these sins to you for your forgiveness. And if that is you, I just want to encourage you that Jesus is here. In the words of an old song, come thou weary, heavy laden, weak and wounded, sick and sour. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Don't keep yourself from him. My dad, bless him, he's in heaven now. My, my, my father would call all of us. I grew up with three brothers. Now, I'm closing here. He would, he would call us and he would go through all four names. We all started with R. R- Rohan, Raymond, Robert, Ronald, come on. And one of us from somewhere in the house would say, coming. And then, of course, we weren't coming. That was just our way of buying time. (laughs) Now, none of you kids do that, I'm sure. When your parents call you, you come right away with happy hearts and full obedience. (laughs) Of course, well, I was not like that. So I'm grateful that some of you are much better children than I was. Um, But I was not like that. It would at least take two times, and then my father would call again, and he'd say all the names, come on, and we'd say, coming, and then, and then he got to this point with his Jamaican accent where he said, stop, stop coming and come already. I, I want to say the same thing to some of us. You, you've been here before, I feel like, where you've heard something about Jesus that has all the power of heaven behind it to forgive you and make you God's child, to grant to you a full pardon for all your sins and to bring you into his family for all of eternity. And you've walked away and you're here again. What what keeps you from from actually receiving him and coming this time? Stop coming and come already. Let's pray. Father, help us, um, if we are children of God, to be comforted by that and to realize how grateful we ought to be. And if we walked in not being able to say that we are children of God by being born again, then I pray that your power would attend this message about Jesus and that, that some soul, perhaps many souls in here listening to this, would be raised to new life, would know the joy of being yours would be able to say along with Peter though though I have not seen him I love him and even though I don't see him now I believe in him and I'm filled with joy that is inexpressible filled with glory and Lord as many of us who are children of God as we prepare to take communion here I pray that you would remind us through these elements of the sacrifice that you made for us the body that was offered up for us on the cross the blood or the life that was poured out represented by the cup And that we would come and partake with glad and sincere hearts. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Take a couple of minutes just to consider what you've heard. And if you are serving communion, you can come and take those elements and take your stations now. And once they're in position, when you're ready to come and receive these tangible reminders of God's grace to us through the cross, then come with glad and sincere hearts. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Raymond Goodland at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.